Hello and welcome to Tailoring It podcast number 25, Books and Ebooks, Part 2. Thanks ever so much for joining us in this podcast. I'm joined once again by Zach Manser. Hi, Zach. Hi, good afternoon, Craig. How are you doing, mate? All right? Yeah, I'm great, thanks. Hey, how are you? Um, not too bad, thank you. I'm very well. Um, so just to recap on, on the, the part one that we did of this, Books and Ebooks, uh, for, the, for the benefit of the listener, I think I'm sure we're both well aware of it. We did set out, believe it or not, dear listener, with an agenda and things to cover off during chapter one of this, during part one. But as, um, as, as I believe a good podcast actually should, it took lots of different turns and it ended up turning into a conversation as opposed to a, a scripted type interview. So there were a few things that we perhaps didn't cover off in the first part that we'd like to cover off now. And there were a few things actually that came up during the conversation. And I, I, I've listened back to this this morning and I remember saying, we'll make sure that we cover that off. I want to get round to that in the, in the second chapter. So if it's all right with you, Zach, we'll, uh, we'll do that this afternoon. Sounds fantastic. So the first thing I remember we were talking about, very briefly touched on it, was the different types of formats that are available. And my question really is, why are there, why do there seem to be so many different types of file formats for when people start to talk about digital publications, when people start to talk about ebooks? Okay, yeah. Um, so if, just to recap, for people who haven't perhaps listened to the uh, first episode, the um, three main formats that we suggested people would want to make an ebook uh, at the moment are EPUB file format, the Kindle file format, and also PDF. Um, and so those three are each um, produced by a different set of people. So for example, EPUB has emerged as the standard for ebooks, and that's produced by the um, a body of people called the IDPF. Um, an international body of people who believe that the EPUB file format should be one that everybody uses. Um, Amazon, of course, however, have uh, their own reasons, commercial reasons, that they would like to use their own format. So that's why the Kindle's popular. Um, and as everybody may know, the Amazon bookstore is the most popular way of uh, buying commercial books at the moment. So it's a massive player in the game. And then thirdly, um, the old traditional PDF, which has um, been popular for what, well over 10 years now. Um, and most word processing tools allow you to produce PDF. So that, that's the reason why that's been very popular. So, so oops, sorry, Craig. So it, it's the, it's the fact that there, there are several big players in the game as well as, well as several smaller players. And for either technical reasons or commercial reasons, they're each interested in having their own format. Yeah, basically. Um, but interestingly, the um, IDPF, which is the International Digital Publishing Forum, they um, their format is, which is EPUB um, versions two and three, just been released uh, very recently. That's the one that's open, so it's an open standard, and it uses most of the stuff from the W3C's working group of HTML. So. In terms of sustainability, if you're thinking sort of five years down the line, it would, to me, make sense that, that looking at EPUB would be the primary file format for us, um, looking to make ebooks at the moment, with the other ones kind of as secondary and third formats. Okay, so reading between the lines there, then, are we saying that if anybody that's perhaps listening to this is considering going down that route, and as we spoke about in the first podcast, I've already started to take tentative steps into that, 
that it, it they could well edge their bets and go down that format in terms of producing their, uh, their material. Yeah, sure. Um, and again, if you follow a sort of standard workflow, then if you're starting from some rule files, so some rule text, for example, it's fairly simple to produce the EPUB first and then produce it in other file formats. So from the EPUB, you can quite quickly produce the Kindle file format, for example, and then also using just source files, it should be very easy for you to also produce a PDF. Um, and it's also worth bearing in mind that they're actually slightly different. So if you would like to uh, allow me to indulge um, for a few seconds. Yeah, of course. Uh, the reason why um, you would consider the EPUB format and the, the reason why it's been emerging as a standard is, as I'm sure everybody's aware, it's now very common to want to look at um, digital objects like ebooks from different devices. So, for example, I read uh, books on my laptop, my iPhone, soon to be my HTC, um, my Nexus 7, so a bunch of different devices, and each one of those has a different viewport. So that means what I'm looking at is a different size. So my laptop's quite large, which suits PDF down to the ground, absolutely fine. But once, when I want to read an ebook that's a PDF that is on my iPhone, it becomes nearly impossible because the iPhone does not have a as nearly a bigger screen. Whereas uh, an EPUB allows the screen, um, sorry, the content to reflow. So reflowable content is one of the primary reasons why EPUB is so popular because it doesn't matter what size device you're looking at, the text and the content will bend its will to what you're looking at. So that's why EPUB is a fantastic um, file format for ebooks. So I guess then the fact that I've done a typical Craig and, and jumped in feet first without really doing any research into the iBooks tool, which I knew would lock me down to um, to it only being viewed in an iBook format. I was aware of that from the word go. I guess then if I was to take a step back from that, because I'm really not that far progressed with it, and choose to actually create that content in an EPUB format, what I could then do is still perhaps output to iBooks uh, format, but also not perhaps back myself into a corner and with a little tinkering could output to other formats as well. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and uh, I would suggest that's a good thing to do. And that's just always been the same for lots of different types of multimedia. You know, if you can try to avoid pigeonholing yourself uh, at the production stage, if you can probably get 80% down the line in one tool and then towards the end you can uh, make it export to the correct file formats that you wish and also fix the peculiar bugs that may uh, affect those individual um, file formats rather than having to have one workflow for a Kindle, one workflow for PDF yeah. and another workflow for um, EPUB, for example. So it's just a way really that if we take a bit of time to plan, so maybe not do the uh, Craig rushing in. Yeah. <laughs> You know, you'll, you'll probably find that it's easier in the long term to um, produce your files for, for as many formats as, as, as possible. Do you think we're going to get to a stage where, you know, only this week in work we've been, I've been helping people being able to convert from one file format to another, not in relation to ebooks, but in relation to uh, both audio files and video files. Do you think there's a time down the road when actually we'll, we'll be able to, there'll be tools that can actually just turn from one format into another, as you can with video and, and, and other file conversions? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's already possible now. Um, I suppose what happens, though, is that 
each time you, you mangle um, one file format, there may be particular quirks of that file format that then cause problems later on down the line. Yeah. Um, and, and it may not even always be the, the, the file format. So, for example, each time iBooks brings out a new version of um, its software, it fixes some of the its bugs from the old version, but then introduces some different ones. Yeah. Um, and so, it, and, and that's the kind of thing. Sometimes you you can't do anything about that. But by having a good solid foundation file, that allows you to very very easily update it. So, audio and video are the same as you mentioned. You know, ten years ago, people were recording in WAV and then producing um, the proprietary file formats for Windows, for example. But now it's much more common for people to use either MP3 or the AAC file format. If you keep your original WAV, it's very easy now to produce those file formats. If, however, you went down the, the pigeonhole route of producing real wave, um, the real, yeah, real, uh, file formats or Microsoft, you may now be stuck with a low quality file that you can't very easily reproduce. Yeah. So, so you mentioned workflow a couple of minutes ago. If anybody's listening to this and they're thinking, do you know what? I quite fancy putting something together and just putting it out there into the, into the, the worldwide community. Or I'd actually like to put something together for people within my organization, very, you know, very targeted audience. Yeah. Where do they start? So I think the first thing to do would be to, uh, most people, I think nearly everybody probably going to start from either a Word document or a Google doc, for example. So that's fine. That makes absolute sense. And then what you can do from there is uh, you can have a quick play with various tools. So, for example, probably the most popular tool at the moment is a free software tool called Calibre. So that's the tool that I started off with, and it's, I'm sure it's the tool that most people start off with. If you Google for um, ebooks and Calibre, you'll come across it. Uh, and basically, it takes a Word document and then can produce any number of file formats that it can produce the file then straight away into um, EPUB, into Kindle file format, and into um, PDF and some other file formats as well. So it makes sense really to try that and then see what it does. So fire up your various um, your ebook readers and just see what it looks like, and you'll, and you'll begin very quickly see its limitations. And so I think you can get about again probably about eighty percent to having a good ebook just from using a tool such as that. And there are other tools. Um, like one called Seagal, for example, and uh, at the moment, uh, James Clay has just produced a draft version of a TechWatch report for JISC um, that will include a table of t- tools such as this. So it's got a, l- a long list of about 10 or 15 common tools for producing ebooks and explains what some of them do. So that's probably a good place to start. Um, but also, a good book would be Elizabeth Castro's um, EPUB Straight to the Point. And I would suggest that's probably a really good book to buy. And that explains how you would go from a Word document to a really good EPUB, probably in a couple of hours. So okay. that's definitely a good place to start um, if, if you're interested in, in producing really uh, good files that are going to last a long time rather than uh, I've already encountered using my original Calibre files that in newer versions of various tools and, and tablets, for example, that you have some problems. So it's quite a good thing. If you're going to produce quite a lot, if you're, if you're only concerned with producing one or two files, I would just say using a tool like Calibre would be absolutely fine. I've just done a bit of Googling around as you were talking, Isaac, and I've actually brought up uh, 
The report that you mentioned, the GISC Observatory from James Clay, preparing for effective adoption and use of e-books. I brought up the Caliber, a little bit about EPUB and also the um, the Elizabeth Castro's book there. So I'll make sure that I post links to those in the show notes. Thanks for uh, thanks for signposting us to those. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, that's and if, also if you're a fan of um, using Twitter, there's a really good um, community hashtag called EPRDCTN which if you post your questions there, there are lots of knowledgeable people who are producing books for O'Reilly and you know the world's biggest publishers. And if you ask a question there, you'll probably get an answer within um, half an hour or so. So that's particularly good if you've got small issues, um, you know, things like why isn't my cover appearing in the iPad or I don't understand how you add the, the, the title of the book to an ebook. Those sorts of questions and you add more. Um, that's also a really good um, resource for you to, to take a, a look at. I've just found that as well. Um, there's a blog post about it which talks about the reasoning behind it and there's some links off to the hashtag on Twitter. So I'll post that as well. You mentioned that you've, uh, you discovered that, that by using a previous version of Calibre and a more recent version of Calibre that you've discovered some, some things weren't quite working as they should have been. Are these sorts right. of things what we might call showstoppers or are they sort of annoying niggles that, that perhaps bug you because that's not how you originally envisaged it? Or are there things where they could actually lead to a lack of credibility about the content of the, the, the book, even though it's just because the you know the title is, is placed over to the left or right or something like that? How big are these discrepancies that you've noticed? I think it can be a combination. Um, so as an example, uh, a recent uh, report that just um, came out that I read was available as, as an EPUB. It's missing the title. So when you actually add the EPUB to a any ebook reader, there is no cover image, sorry. So the cover image is missing. And then in the metadata, it's got some automated um, gibberish rather than the actual author of the report. Right. And that's the kind of thing that is easy in Calibre to overlook. So those things, I'm not saying they're showstoppers because you still get to the content, but they would definitely reduce the credibility and the professional um look and feel to the book so although they're not proper showstoppers it would be like bringing out a print book and then forgetting to put a cover on it for example yeah um and so they and then it can also make it quite difficult then when you've got a long list of books for you to find it so they're not necessarily showstoppers but by having uh, an established workflow at least you can check through those things so for example if you were to go through um a, an ebook you probably go through a standard workflow and that workflow, um, well, a common workflow is available on the a wiki that's very popular from the community called the uh, mobilereads.com. So again, the notes for that will be in the sh- um, in Craig's show notes. But for example, a simple checklist that includes stuff like make sure the cover's there, make sure that the table of contents includes all the chapters you expect it to, copyright notices, are the defaults for users satisfactory, um, does it include the correct metadata, which will include the publisher, when it was published, um, contributors to that, etc. Really important for discovery later on in the ebooks. And then um, the key thing, of course, is to make sure that it validates. So all ePubs should be validated. Again, if you Google ePub validation, you'll find the tool for that. Um, and then finally, you would make sure you test it in the appropriate readers. And so there are a number of... Um, places you should check your book. For example, I would always check my book works on the iPad's iBooks software. And there's the 
lesser known but very popular in the commercial world, Adobe Digital Editions. Then I would look at the various um, tools that the Amazon provide for the Kindle. So Amazon kindly provide a tool that enables you to preview what your book would look like in all the Kindle file formats, so you don't have to buy a Kindle. So that, again, is a fantastic resource. So by just going through those things, you've covered yourself and all the major devices, but also made sure that you don't accidentally forget to not include the cover, you know, or who published it, etc. And I think a point there about testing on devices, and I know that's something that we spoke about sort of in, in the in the, the, the pre the preamble that we had prior to actually starting recording this was that just just to check double check and probably check again what the target audience is using or is likely yeah. to use and, and and you know my experience that I brought with me from working at Epic for for you know quite a small period of time for twelve months was there was a standard testing matrix and on that testing matrix you had all the all the the modern uh, all the modern browsers all the modern office suites all the modern operating systems and then a few previous versions and yeah. that's the sort of standard testing matrix that at that point they tested to of course it could test to very old versions of, of flash very old versions of ie very old versions of operating systems but they needed to be told to test on those you know they, they were by exception rather than default so it's probably worth checking that the, the target audience just to see what they're what they're actually using rather than make assumptions that they're on the latest Kindle or on the previous version of the Kindle, etc. Yeah, exactly. Because you know, the, every year more devices come out. So uh, I think just this week, for example, the Nook, which is a device that wasn't in the UK until now, is now going to be brought up by Barnes and Noble. This, yeah. So this device wasn't even on our radar, literally, you know, uh, a month ago. And in the next two months, it may or may not be a very popular e-reader. So it's important, again, to have a very established workflow that often uses the base or default files, um, sorry, the default styles of the most popular devices and to work backwards from there. So I would generally suggest that people stick to a few styles. So rather than having all the bells and whistles of things that only work in the latest version of the iPad, for example, if you have a strong foundation, so you know well um, well formatted headings and standard texts and quotes and lists, that means that you know that even if a new device comes out, it will work and look quite um, appropriate. So you could say, right, well, maybe my audience is cutting edge, and then you can go to the EPUB three latest all singing all dancing version, but know that it may break or just be completely ignored in other devices which if you're happy with that then you know go ahead so we're coming off today we understand why there are so many different file formats available we've touched upon think, truly thinking what your start point is and rather than you know rather than like me rushing headlong into one particular area for development one particular platform perhaps reconsidering a more standardised start point such as the EPUB, EPUB format recognising that it won't get you 100% of the way across all formats and all devices, but it will get you a good percentage of the way there, and then you maybe perhaps need to do a little bit of tinkering at the end. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, just to reiterate, EPUB, PDF, Kindle file formats, and that would cover most of your bases. Okay. So is there anything else you want to cover off today? Is that anything else that you think fits with those types of areas that we've spoken about that we haven't gone into the detail that you think perhaps listeners would want or that we haven't touched on at all? 
I think really it's just to um, to go ahead and experiment really and see how far you get. Let you, you know, see what works well for you, what doesn't work for you. Particularly in our sector, this whole ebooks thing is still quite new, so no one quite knows where it's going. So at this stage, I think it would be really important for people just to have experiment and, if possible, to you know to either pod, uh, record podcasts or videos or screencasts about the experiences that we can all learn from it. Because it isn't, there aren't very many people doing this stuff at the moment. And the more of us that um, bang our heads together, together, the better we will um, be able to produce our ebooks. Okay, so uh, so publish, publish fast, publish early. You know, speed over uh, perfection, with pace over perfection. Get the get the information out there, and and start seeing what people are doing, and, and you know, getting feedback on that and moving on. Yep, definitely. That's what I would uh, I'd suggest. And then, uh, but if it breaks, it's not my fault. <laughs> The, the the small print. I'll make sure I, I put that in the show notes. If it breaks, yeah. it's not his fault. <laughs> yeah. Zach, thanks ever so much once again for your time this afternoon. I appreciate you where uh, you getting away to be able to do this podcast, and I'm sure everybody that's listening will appreciate it as well. Thank you. Thank you very much. And if anyone has any problems, uh, just give me a Zach. Uh, give me a Zach. Give me a shout. You can find me on Twitter at at Zach Mensa, or um, if you just Google Zach Mensa, you'll um, find my contact details. And I'd love to help if I can. Cheers, Zach. I'll also make sure I put your put links to you directly on there as well. Cheers. Cool, fella.